This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Morning. Glad to see you out today. I don't know about you, but I like to be in the house of God on Sunday, and I like to see you here. So in saying that, get your hand up if you need a Bible and want you to get the Word of God in your hand. We've been talking about obedience, the importance of it as believers. Once you get a Bible, go with me to 1 Corinthians 15. Now, it's, it's very important how we view the Word of God. Do, do I view the Word of God as a bunch of rules, regulations, restraints? Or do I look at the, the Word of God as a delight, as a guide to my life? And your answer to how you view the Word of God is very important. And as you watch the video right there, I just begin to think of this, that here in Lubbock, our, our main artery of trans, uh, transportation is the loop. Now, just think about this for a minute. If there was no laws on the loop, none, how do you think that would look? It would look crazy. I mean, there would no, no reason to have exit ramps or entrance ramps, anything like that. People would just go through the ditch. And a lot of you say, well, we see that anyhow. Well, not to that degree. Some of you say, that's me, Pastor. No. But you think about that, that if we don't have guidelines, even in our, in our traffic laws, it becomes chaotic. Well, it's the same in our lives. That when we don't have guidelines as human beings, it's not good for us. And so when I look at the Word of God, it's not a bunch of rules to me. It's a delight. I, I understand when I obey the things of God, only good's going to happen. Now, we begin here in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Now, if you'll notice there, he said that sin itself received its strength from the law. So what is the law? The law is, is literally the, the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's where the law was formed. Specifically, Exodus 20 is where you find the Ten Commandments at. And so when you read this here, he said that the law is what empowered sin. Now, how could that be? Is, is the law not good? No, the law is good. But the law wasn't good in the sense that mankind, we couldn't keep it in our own abilities. We couldn't do it. We couldn't obey it. And so instead of the word of God, the law bringing salvation to us, it brought a lot of condemnation. It brought a lot of guilt. It brought a lot of shame. And so this, this is what it's talking about here. Now, God had a plan. And that plan, it affects me and you when you look at verse 57. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so you know what God figured out? That mankind couldn't obey the law, the demands of it. Not only the demands of it, that it activated sin itself. So God said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send Jesus. And Jesus gives me and you the victory when we invite him in to be Lord of our lives. So that's the first thing. i got to get Jesus in my heart. Do I become perfect overnight? No. But there will be a change in your heart. How's that, that change look? Before I was born again, it didn't bother me to sin. You know what sinners do? They sin. 
But when I got born again, even though I wasn't perfect, when I would sin, it bothered me. I didn't like those things I was doing. Turn to your left to Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter 8. So understand this, the law is good, but the law in itself can't empower me to obey. But on the other side of that, freedom isn't a license for me to sin. Freedom isn't a license for me to live however I want. You know, the, the scripture Oscar read there in Galatians 4, Galatians 4, 4, it said, even Jesus was subject to the law. And so the law in itself is good. We just needed help into obeying it. Romans chapter 8, begin with me in verse number 1. There is therefore now, now, no condemnation. When? Now. It didn't say that when we get to heaven, there'll be no condemnation. It said right now. Now, the word condemnation, it means a, a continuous sense of guilt or wrong. And oftentimes, that's what happens to us as human beings. I, I always have this sense of guilt, of shame, I'm wrong. But he said this, that there is therefore now. Now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. How do I become in Christ Jesus? I give Jesus my heart. And he says there that you don't have to live under that feeling of guilt all the time. Keep reading. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law and sin and death. So what this does right here is Jesus himself he qualifies me and you to be free from the law of sin and death. And it says he made us free. That word made free means he liberated us. He acquitted us. He set us free from the dominion of sin. And so this happens when I give Jesus my heart. Now, let's use this analogy here to help you with this just a little bit. Let's just say there's a man who's on death row and he's guilty. He deserves to be there. But one day, word makes it to his cell that he's been set free and he's been declared not guilty. Now, how would you think that man would be made to feel if they looked at him and said, you're free to go, you're no longer guilty, even though he knew he was guilty? He would be ecstatic. The truth of the matter is this. That humanity, the entire human race, were on death row. You know why? According to, to Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So every one of us in this room has sinned. We're guilty. How many of you know you're guilty of sin? Well, the ones of you who didn't raise your hand, we will pray for liars later. <laughs> we're all guilty of sin. The bottom line is this. That there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because of Jesus, he broke the sin of, uh, or broke the law of sin and death. He, he set us free. He said, no longer guilty. Wow, what a blessing. What a blessing. Verse 3. For what the law could not do. In that it was weak through the flesh. The law was weak 
through humanity's flesh. Because you know what? Once again, we couldn't obey it. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of a sinful flesh on account of sin. He, Jesus, condemned sin in the flesh. So you know what that means in a nutshell? Jesus became your and my sin offering. You know what Jesus said? They couldn't obey the law on themselves, so I'll take their place. And you think about it, when Jesus died on the cross, every sin that mankind had committed, will commit, now and in the future, Jesus took it. He said, I'll take every bit of it. Now once again, that doesn't give me a license to live however I want. That's not what that's saying. But understand that no matter what you've done, when you get born again, Jesus comes in the inside. He changes your heart. Well, I don't like to sin. Do you still sin? I do. But I don't like to. It bothers me. Verse 4. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh. And when it talks about do not walk according to the flesh, it means we don't walk in our own sinful desires, but we walk according to the Spirit. So when I follow the Holy Spirit, I'll follow His desires. And when I follow His desires, the Holy Spirit will begin to teach me how to obey the Word of God. Now to look at that a little more insight, go, go with me to the book of John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And, and as you're turning there, let me ask you this question. As a believer... Do you sometimes feel pressured to fulfill religious requirements such as, well, I just got to go to church today because I want God to bless me. I just got to read my Bible today because I want God to bless me. I got to learn to pray. I got to tithe because I, I want God to bless me. Now, when I live in that sense... I begin to view God's word as once again as a bunch of rules and regulations. And when I view God's words as rules and regulations, it becomes a grind to obey. If you ever get into a, a, a grind in your obedience, understand that you're trying to do things out of your own ability. I got to. I got to pray. He doesn't want us to have to do that. He wants us to get to the place in life where it becomes a delight to do those things. I want to do them. And so what happens when I live with that grind, I come under condemnation because I can't fulfill that. And so when a human being comes under condemnation, we as human beings, we start looking for loopholes to give ourselves permission from God to do what we want. How many have ever tried to look for a loophole so you can satisfy your flesh? Well... I know if I do this, and I... See, that wasn't God's design. Now, I believe this will teach us some things here. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Obedience shows my devotion to God. That word keep there, before it has a literal translation, and it says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, that wasn't like the Lord taking a whip and beating you. But if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So this is Jesus talking about this. 
Now watch where Jesus goes directly in the next verse. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. One besides me in addition to me, but one that's just like me. That he may abide with you forever. Now, Jesus understood that in our abilities, we're not going to be able to keep his commandments. So Father God said, I'm going to give you the Lord Jesus to be the sin offering from you. But right here, Jesus himself said, I'm going to send you another helper. If the Lord Jesus, he thinks we need other, another helper, then we probably need another helper. Now there's only two times in the Bible where God tells mankind you need a helper. He does it there in the first part of the Bible when God said to man, he said, it's not good for you to live alone. I'm going to create for you a helper, a helpmate. And all the men said, thank you, Jesus. The second area is right here. He said, you need a helper. Understand that, that one of the names of the Holy Spirit is the helper. He wants to help us. How will he help us? Well, keep reading verse 17. The Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you, and I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Now, I will tell you this starting on Wednesday night, probably for the majority of the summer, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. We're going to really dig deep into it and see the, the benefit of the person of the Holy Spirit. Understand this about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's the third head of the Trinity of God. And so the Holy Spirit wants to come on the inside of you and help you. And I've said this in, in order. The three most important things I ever did was I got born again. I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And I married Shelley. In that order. Right there. Because you'll never be the husband, the daddy that you desire to be without the Holy Spirit. Never. That wasn't God's design, so it's in this sense here. Keep reading. Verse 19. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, I live, you will also live. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Now get that there's two great nuggets in there. First of all, he said, he who knows my commandments. How do I know what God's commandments are? i got to read the Bible. Now, he didn't stop there. He didn't say, all you got to do is know about my commandments. He said, he who knows my commandments and he who obeys my commandments, keeps them. See, it's very important that I get a hold of this because why? Anytime I obey God, man, God's going to bless me. That's just his nature here. So we keep on reading, and he says, And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to Jesus, he said, Lord, how is it to you you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone, now I like that word anyone. That qualifies every one of us in this room. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him, and he will come to me and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you, you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Now, when you look at this, he said, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. 
Now, we're told to love one another, but I just want you to think about this. Who in your life that, I mean, you really, 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 really love, and whoever that is in your life that qualifies for that, how do you show them that you love them? Well, number one, we tell them we love them. How often do we tell Father God, Father God, I love you. I love you. Thank you. Thank you for your mercy and grace. But not only do we tell who we love, we will literally bend over backwards for the person we love. In my situation right now, I'll use my wife. And like she said, we just celebrated our anniversary. Now, we still do things for each other, but we don't do them to prove to each other that we love each other. And we don't do it to earn each other's love. We just do it because we love each other. And when you love somebody, you want to do good. You want to do right. I mean, even to this day, when I take the trash out to the dumpster, I don't walk out there thinking, boy, I'm going to earn Shelly's love today. I'm taking out the trash. And when she cooks me a meal, she doesn't get on her knees and says, oh, I'm proving him today that I love him. No, we do it because that's what people do when you love each other. It's the same with the Word of God. I don't obey the Word of God because I got to prove to God I love Him. No, I obey the Word of God because I delight in obeying Him. It becomes my heart. I want to obey you, Father God. I want to please you. Now turn with me to the book of Acts. You're real close there. Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Really what we need to understand is we got to get away from the thought of I have to obey. Instead, I got to get the thought, I want to obey. I delight in obeying God. Now, here in Acts 13, we're going to give you a little bit of a history lesson on the Jews. Begin with me in verse 17. The God of this people, Israel, choose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt in, in, as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Now, when they were in bondage to the Egyptians, God said, I'm going to bring them out of there. And he did. Do you know that's the shadow of what's going to happen with me and you? The day's going to come where he's going to bring us out of this place called earth. And we're going to enter a place called heaven. Where there's no more crime, there's no more sickness, there's no more hurt, there's no more pain. And some of you say, man, I kind of like to go there today. It is a temptation, isn't it? But I will tell you this, as long as you're on this earth, you're to live to make Jesus famous. You're to be a witness, and the goal is to take as many people with us to heaven as we can. Keep reading. Verse 18. Now, for a time of about 40 years, he, God, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. For 40 years, God endured their behaviors. And what was their behaviors like for those 40 years? They were a bunch of complainers, belly achers, bedwetters. They did not want to please God, and God put up with it for 40 years. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king, 
So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. Now remember, we studied King Saul just a couple weeks ago. And King Saul wouldn't obey God. Remember, God gave him orders and he wouldn't obey them. And that's where it says in 1 Samuel 15, to obey or obedience is better than sacrifice. And so after that, look what happens in verse 22. And when God had removed Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony. And he said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Now look at God's definition of a man after his own heart. Who will do all my will. See, to have the title, a man after God's own heart, that's just not a title that's given to us. The reason God called David a man after his own heart, he said, he would do all my will. And David wasn't motivated to do all of God's will out of rules, restraints, and law. David did God's will because it brought David delight. He desired to obey God. Where's that at? Well, go to Psalm 119. Got to go to one, Psalm 119. This is the longest psalm of any one of them. And we'll begin at verse number one when you get there. But you'll begin to see King David's heart in this. Why God said he's a man after my own heart. I believe everyone is in this room. We can be a man or a woman after God's own heart. But the key is, I got a purpose to do all his will. I want to love God. I want to please God. Look at Psalm 119 verse 1. Blessed are the undefiled, the blameless in the way, who walk in the law of the word. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek or crave him with a whole heart. They also do no iniquities or unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. And so this was the start of this book, this chapter. Now, in Psalm 119, look at verse 16. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. One translation says he was fascinated with the opportunity. He delighted in the word of God. Same chapter, verse 24. Your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors or my guide. See, when I delight in the Word of God, there's a joy that comes from obeying. It's not a bunch of rules, but it's a joy. Verse 35. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Verse 47. And I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. My hands also I will lift up to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. So you begin to see here, David delighted in the things of God. He delighted in the word of God. But the story changes. If you study the life of King David, one night he was on his roof. And he happened to notice a woman named Bathsheba. And ultimately what took place is King David fell Because he got into sexual sin with this woman named Bathsheba. Now understand this. God doesn't bless sexual sin. He didn't bless it back then and he doesn't bless it to this day. 
And so what happens as human beings with sin? When we sin, if we don't repent of that sin, and we don't ask God to help us to turn from it, we begin to live in a pattern of sin. In other words, sin becomes a snowball effect. And in David's situation, he commits sexual sin with Bathsheba, but instead of repenting from it and turning, he does almost the unthinkable. To cover his tracks, he has her husband Uriah the Hittite murdered. Now this is, this is almost a shocking passage to me. When you begin to look at this, that this man, King David, a man after own God's own heart, he fell like this. See, it just shows me that every one of us in here, I never get to a place in my life where I'm exempt from sin. Oh, I got it. I got it. No. I got to keep living for the Lord and I got to keep searching for him every day. So what happens here is after King David gets into adultery with Bathsheba and kills her husband, God gives him opportunity to repent. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel 12. So just through the scriptures, I, I, I believe it's somewhere between 9 and 12 months that God gives David an opportunity to repent on his own. David doesn't do it. Now understand this, when God wants us to repent, it's not to harm us, it's to help us. That's a good thing to repent. So the next thing that God does when David won't repent on his own, and this is what he'll do with you and me. He'll send someone across your path to confront you in sin. And when you're confronted with sin, how do you respond? Do you accept it and repent? Or do you put your arm out and say, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to tell me how to live. So in this passage, what takes place? God sends a prophet named Nathan. And Nathan shows up to King David. And he begins to tell David this story and says, There was a man who had one little ewe, a little female sheep. And that's all he had was this one ewe. And there was another man who came along. And this man had everything he could want. Everything in life that he needed but yet he stole the man's you, the one who just had the one. He stole it. And as Nathan is conveying this story to David, David's anger begins to arouse. And after a little while, David looks and he says, The man who's done this shall surely die. And not only shall he die, he'll restore fourfold of everything he's stolen. And after this, Nathan looks at David and he says, you're the man. You're the man. Now understand when King David spoke all they did and said, this man shall die and this man shall re restore fourfold. He literally prophesied his own punishment. And so when, when Nathan says, you're the man. Right there, David has an opportunity to say, I'm not listening to you. See, it's the same with me and you. How are you when people correct you? How am I when people correct you? How many of you in this room have ever had someone say, you're living in sin, you can't do that. I've had that happen. 
And one side of me, my flesh said, I don't like being told what to do. But the other side, I knew they were right. And so you have a, a situation right there where you say, okay, I'm going to live by my flesh or I'm going to live by the Spirit. I'm going to humble myself. 2, 2 Samuel 12, verse 9. Nathan speaking here and he says, Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Now, this is always interesting to me, and I'll probably highlight this a little bit more here. But he said, why have you despised the Lord to do evil in his sight? Nothing was mentioned there about Bathsheba or Uriah. Understand that when I get over in sin and I do what I want, I'm doing it against God. And God sees it. So he goes on and says, you have killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife, and you have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me. There's the first one of the four. Do you know the sword never left David's house? Ever. And when it was time to build the temple, God told David, you won't build the temple because you've shed so much blood in your lifetime. The second one, he goes on and says this. You have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. Number two, that happened. His own children turned on him. Number three, and I will take your wives before your eyes. He had several wives, okay? That's what that means. That happened. Keep reading. And I will give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with, with your wives in the sight of this son. Every bit of that happened. For you did it secretly, but I will do the things before all Israel, before the son. Now, when he said you've done this secretly, think about sin in our lives. Sin starts out in the private. That every one of us have a sense of shame. And we don't want anybody to know about it. But if I don't deal with sin in my life, I become so callous to it that it doesn't bother me anymore. And now it's gone from my private life to my public life. Is there hope for people? Yeah, there's still hope. But you've got to respond, just like i got to respond. But think about how sin starts in the private. We don't want anybody to know. Well, that ought to be a sign. Anytime we have to do something in secret, something's wrong. Illustration. It's just like pornography. How many, in this people, how many people in this room would get into pornography... If we set you right down here and we put up everything that, that you, that I watched, that had to do with pornography, and we put it up on the big screen, most of us would say, I'm not doing that. But when we can get away with something as human beings, we have a sense it's okay. And then the longer we do it and we feel like there's no consequences for it, we keep doing it. And really, the wages of sin, according to Romans 6.23, or 6 is a death-like existence. Even we don't realize it, we're living a death-like existence. You know why? 
I've disobeyed the things of God. Keep reading. Now this is after David was confronted. And watch his heart right here. So David said to Nathan. I have sinned against the Lord. I hadn't sinned against Bathsheba. I didn't sin against Uriah. I sinned against the Lord. He openly said. I've sinned against the Lord. Now really to me. That's James chapter 5. James chapter 5 says this. That if you'll confess your faults to one another, not only will I forgive you, I'll heal you. And so right here, do you think that this wasn't humbling for the man of God named David to look at this prophet and say, I've sinned. Oh, but it's powerful. In a good way. It sets us free. When you can look at another human being and say, and I've blown it. God will begin to move in our lives when we open up like that. And I'm not saying that you got to run to everybody in the world. Keep reading. So David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Woo, happy day. Happy day. <laughs> I personally believe this with all my heart. If David wouldn't have done that and had a sincere heart of repentance, he would have died prematurely. But he said no. And so it just shows me right there that God's mercy is great toward us when we respond to him. When we repent and everything. And, and there may be things that are set. I see it over and over in the Bible. But when men respond to God, it's if God says, okay, I'm waiting for you to respond. And when you respond to me, then I sever certain things as far as even in this situation, death. He said, no, you're not going to die. Verse 13. Verse 14. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemy of the Lord to blaspheme, to devalue God, to ridicule God. See, as born-again believers... Anytime we stumble and fall like this, people look at us and say, wow, that's the God you serve? And in essence, we devalue God. Even though I don't believe we mean to, but this is what he was saying. How many of you have ever seen a, a man or a woman of God that was way up here that fell and the press, everybody went after him? Ridiculed him. In the name of Jesus. This is what he's talking about. Keep reading. The child also who is born to you shall surely die. Now the judgment right here wasn't against the child. The judgment was against David for what he did. Understand this, that in David's life, because of his choices, he caused pain to his own life. He caused pain to his wives. He caused pains to his children. And pain to a nation. And I can repent of my sin. And God will forgive me of my sin. But that doesn't mean it will negate the consequences that go with the sin. What do you mean by that? We reap what we sow. Was David forgiven? Absolutely he was. And God will forgive you. But understand... Just like there were some things that began to happen in David's life, 
It was because of the deed or the seed he sowed. Keep reading. Then Nathan departed to his house. So you begin to see some things right here. That David was sustained by his love for God because he repented. King Saul was sustained by his love for himself. And he would never repent. And if those two kings, I'm going to follow the heart of one of them. I'm going to get over and say, you know what? I'm not going to obey. I'm going to do my own thing like Saul did. Or I'm going to come back to the things of God and say, Lord, I, I want to be obedient. And I got one more scripture you got to go with me to. Go with me to, to Psalm 51. The 51st Psalm. Woo, thank God for His Word. Thank God for His Word. You know, and I will tell you this. There's, there's times when I speak on stuff like this. And I tell the Lord, Lord, I don't want to speak on things like this. But you know, only the truth sets people free. If we come in here and act like we don't have to obey the God, we can live however we want. Listen, guys, I'm just setting you up for failure. And in these last days, there's going to be fables. There's going to be junk. A great passage for you to study on your own is, is Hebrews 13, verses 7 through 9. It will reference these things. Crave the Word of God. Crave the truth. And that's why it's so important. And you've heard me harp on this over and over again. And I pray I never quit harping on it. Get in the Word of God. Let the Word of God teach you, okay? Now we're at Psalm 51. Listen to the subtitle of this. It says, A Psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So think about this. This is just what we read. Nathan had been in sexual sin with Bathsheba. Nathan confronts him. Now watch this here in verse, Psalm 51 verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Now in the next three verses, pay close attention to the word my. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. When you talk about iniquity, transgressions, and sin, every one of those are, are sin in a whole. They just deal with different things. But it interests me that King David didn't say, Well, God, I... I didn't do this and I didn't do that. Or why don't you deal with him now? He dealt with his own life. And he said in verse 4 or verse 3. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin or rebellion is before me. Day and night it haunts me. Against you. You only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found or proved just when you speak. And just or blameless when you judge. You know what he said? Father God, I trust you. You're just. You're holy. And God will do just what he says he'll do. Now watch what happens in verse 9, 10, 11, and verse 12. 
And this will put hope in every one of us. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The message translation says, shape a Genesis week in the chaos of my life. Verse 11, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Now in reading that, I believe that's God's heart for every one of us. That when we're open and transparent with Father God and we say, this is what I've done, Lord. But I ask you today, create in me a new heart and renew me with a steadfast spirit. And Lord, I welcome your presence. Don't take your spirit from me. Return to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me, Father God. And so when I read this, you get a sense here of a man who was a great man of God, but also a man of God who had stumbled, who had fallen miserably. But even when we fall, guys, get back up. Get back up and say, Father God, help me. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.